Well, good evening. It's a privilege to be able to bring God's Word this evening, um, this first Sunday of, of the new year. And we're going to be looking at that portion of Scripture which was read for us earlier by Brian, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through to verse 8. So if you have your Bible open at that, that, that place there, Revelation chapter 21, then if you leave that open, we're going to look there in a moment. But before we do, just going to pray and ask the Lord for his help. Let's pray together. Our loving and gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you and we, we praise you that we can, can gather here this evening on the first Sunday of the year in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and sing praises to him who has saved us from our sins, the one who shed his blood to atone for our wrongs, the one in whom we can find refuge and strength and safety from the wrath which is to come. Father, we thank you that we are found here this evening and we know that this is your grace, this is your doing and we can say that it's marvellous in our sight. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, we thank you that we have it and here we find the truth. And we pray that as we look at your truth this evening, that you will do a work of grace in each of our hearts. Father, for those of us who know Jesus, that we will know him more, that we will love him more, and that we will live for him more as a result of, of your word being preached, Father, that you will change our hearts. And Father, for any among us this evening who, who, who are not yet saved, who have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ, who do not, who do not yet believe, Father, we pray that you might speak to them, show them their need of Jesus Christ, we pray that you'll grant them repentance and faith. Father, we, we commit this time to you, confessing our need of you, and pray that Jesus Christ will be glorified. Amen. So as we go into this new year, I wonder if, if you've thought to yourself, what's going to happen in this, in, this, in this coming year? I was thinking about it yesterday, the day before, I wonder what this year holds. As I look back at the year that's just gone, the changes which have taken place I've, in my own life, I would, I would never have thought that I would be standing here in the front of, uh, at the front of Walton in Chesterfield. I was living in Cornwall this time last year, and I didn't know that I was going to be moving here at that time, but the Lord knew. And so I'm sure many of us are thinking, well, what, what does this year hold for us? It's nice to know the future, isn't it? Then we can prepare for it. If we would have known that we would have had a technical difficulty this evening, people would have been here early working on the televisions, or they would have had the sheets printed off. It's nice to know what's going to happen, isn't it? But there's lots of things about the future that, that we don't know. As we were reminded this morning by Andy, there's just some things we can't know. We have, don't we, as Andy reminds us, the, our standing orders, as it were, the clear commands of God's word that we're to obey. We're to seek advice from other Christians and prayerfully consider what we're to do. But there comes a point where we just have to trust in God's sovereignty. We have to just trust that, that God is in control, that he does all things well. And whatever this year holds, that we leave it with him and we rest in his providence and in his goodness. And yet, although we, we don't really know what's going to happen in the next few weeks or months, we don't know really what's going to happen in the next five minutes. I mean, who knows, after the start we've had, all the power might cut out. We don't really know, do we? But there's some things we, we, we can be sure of. 
We don't know what this, what this year holds, but there are some things that we can be certain about. There are some things in the future which are certain. God has told us that in the future, Jesus Christ will certainly return. That the dead will certainly be raised and the wicked will be judged. And that his people will certainly be with him in the new heavens and in the new earth. And in our passage this evening, we're told about that final certainty that I've just mentioned. The new heavens and the new earth. And we have it described for us in this passage. Now, as I've already said, the events of the, the coming year are uncertain. But here we're reminded that if Jesus Christ is your saviour, your future is certain, your eternity is certain. And this is what it's going to be. Here we have the certain future of all those who believe in Jesus Christ. In this passage, we find a place where the weary believer can rest their head. Sometimes when you're going through the, 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 the turmoil of life, you can just be despairing. What's going to happen next? What's around the corner? Well, here, here we can rest. Heaven will one day be our dwelling place. Here we find comfort for those who are worried about what the future holds. The fact is that if you're a Christian this evening, we can say the future is going to be wonderful. The future is going to be wonderful. And in this passage, we, we see some things about the future that I want us to look at together. In this passage, we learn three things about heaven. And I've got three points. God will make everything new, firstly. Secondly, God will be there. And thirdly, God calls you to come. God will make everything new. God will be there. And God calls you to come. And so that's how we're going to look at this passage this evening. So firstly then, God will make everything new. And we see this in the first verse. Look at what John says. Now I will just say, I did prepare this message in the New King James, so the words might be slightly different, but it's saying the same thing. And so if, that's what, if, if you wonder why the words might be slightly different to what you've got there, that's why. But verse 1 says this. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now before this, this, this uh, verse, John has described for us what was called the great white throne judgment. He's described the future of those who don't believe in Jesus, the future of, of those who die in their sins, and now he goes on to describe the future of the saints, the future of those who believe in Jesus. And he says, I saw a new creation. And he says, a new heaven and a new earth. And what he's telling us here is that one day, everything will be made new. This broken, fallen world that we live in now will one day be made completely new. And all the effects of the fall, all the bad things that we experience every day, all of these things will be done away with. There will be a new order, a new creation. Now we have a fuller description of this in 2 Peter 3, verse 10 and 13, and this is what it says. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
That's what John is describing here. This is what John is seeing. Peter has told us about it there in in 2 Peter chapter 3. And now John is saying that I saw this for myself. I've seen it with my own eyes. Of course, it's a vision. God is giving him a vision of the future. But this is what John is saying he is seeing. God's going to make everything new. Now, John could have told us lots of things about this new creation. And, and if you could ask, if John was here this evening on the stage and I had a microphone like Tiago does sometimes, and we could ask John any question about what he saw, I wonder what you would ask. Maybe you'd ask him what kind of animals were there, or, or is there, what's the food like, or something like that, or, 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 or are we always worshipping all the time? What does it feel like? But John decides to tell us in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, this. He says, also, there was no more sea. Now, you might wonder to yourself, why did he tell us that? I mean, we live in Derbyshire. We don't often see the sea anyway. Why did he just decide to tell us that there's no more sea? Out of all the things he could have mentioned, he mentioned that there's no more sea. What did he mean by this? Well, it must have meant something important. It must have been significant. Otherwise, he wouldn't have mentioned it. So what was the point? Well, some read this literally, that there will literally be no sea. And I can go with that. I wouldn't disagree with you on that. I wouldn't argue with you about that. But I think we have to say there's a bigger point being made here. Yes, we can say that there'll be no more sea, but there's got to be a bigger truth. And it seems to be that that the sea here is being used as a symbol. Throughout the Bible, the, the sea is used as a symbol of evil or rebellion against God. We see it throughout the Bible. We see it in the book of Revelation. For example, in Revelation 13, we see that the beast comes up out of the sea. Now, that's a picture. That's telling us something. And, and, and it's telling us that the, 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 the sea throughout Revelation, throughout the Bible, is synonymous with, with evil, with rebellion against God. And what John is saying here is, is that there's no sea. There is no rebellion against God in the new creation. There is no sin in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, this is an important point, isn't it? We need to know that, which is why John highlights it for us. Now, not only is there no sea, but we see that there's another important feature that John draws our attention to, draws to our attention. And we see this in verse 2. He goes on and he says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now, after he sees the new heavens and the new earth where there's no sea, he says that he saw the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, And he says that he sees it coming down out of heaven from God, coming down to earth. Now, John must have seen something magnificent. He must have seen something really beyond description. In in the NIV, as it was read to us, I believe that it's translated um, as a a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, something along that line. Well, in the the translation I've got here, it's translated as prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And that's a, that's a more literal translation. And, and I think the point is being made there that, 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 that whatever John saw, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. There's something which transcends culture, and that is the beauty of the bride. I think you can go to any culture, as far as I'm aware, and brides are always made as beautiful as they can possibly be. A lot of effort, expense, time, goes into making the bride look as beautiful as possible. I've been married just over a year now, and nobody turned up to my house early in the morning to get me ready. 
But lots of people came to Chloe's house to help her get as beautiful as possible, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And this is the description that John is using of what he saw. Beautiful, magnificent. Now, I believe there's a, there's a connection here with what Jesus says in John 14, which is why I highlighted the word prepared there in, in, in the New King James. Because Jesus says this in John 14. He says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So the Lord Jesus went to the Father, he says, to prepare a place for you, to prepare a place for his people. And then we have John seeing a vision of heaven, and he says it's a place prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I think there's some connection there. This is what John is seeing, a place prepared for the saints, the new Jerusalem. Now, before we go any further and, and look more at what this new heavens and new earth will be like, I think it's important that we just camp here for a moment on this vision of John and see what encouragement we can take from these words. We know that we live in a world that's not like that, don't we? We live in a world where there is rebellion against God. We live in a world that's filled with, with suffering, that's fallen, that's become faulty through sin. The reason why we're uncertain about the year that's ahead or maybe uncertain about it is because we know the kind of world that we live in. And we know it's not like this place that's just been described. So what encouragement can we take from these words? Well, we can be encouraged that, that this world we live in now is not going to be like this forever. That God is one day going to make everything new. A place where there's no rebellion against God. There will be a place that is magnificent and beautiful. And if you're a Christian here this evening, then this is the hope that you have. This is your future because of all that Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, one of the best experiences we can do as we go into the new year is to think upon this hope. Focus our minds on this. This is our future. This is where we're heading. This is our destination. This is where the bus stops. This is where we get off. This hope, this heavenly city, this new Jerusalem, this new creation, this is where we're going. And if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, then you need to know there's only one way to be part of this place, and that's by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way into heaven. Jesus is the only way into this new creation. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. God's going to make everything new, a new heavens, a new earth. What will it be like to be there? What, what will it be like? Well, after John sees the vision, he then hears a voice, he hears a proclamation from heaven that explains things to him in a little bit more detail. We've seen firstly, God will make everything new. Now we have our second point, God will be there. God will be there. After John has seen his vision, he records for us what the loud voice says from heaven. And now the voice further explains what John has just seen. It fills in some of the details. This is what the voice says. It begins by saying that God's going to dwell with men. Look with me at verse 3. He says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So here we, we have the explanation of what John has just seen. And I think here we have the explanation of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. What's the main point 
of John seeing a heavenly city coming down out of heaven to earth. What's the point in that? What's the picture? What's the, the truth that's being communicated in that symbol? Well, I believe it's, it's explained for us here in verse 3. The fact is that God is going to dwell with men. Heaven's coming down to earth, if you like. That's what's being pictured there. God is going to live with his people. And we see this further, further um, emphasized, if you like, or we see this point proven, proved later on in this same chapter. Verses 22 and 23 says this. It's describing the new Jerusalem. And this is what it says about the new Jerusalem. John says, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So the point of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to earth is simply this. God is going to be with his people. God is going to be with his people. Now you read throughout the Bible, you read the book of Genesis, and you see that Adam and Eve, had, before the fall, they had a, a, a close relationship with God, the kind that we don't experience, a kind of face-to-face -face relationship, if you like. You can read about it in, in Genesis chapter 3. But, th but through the fall, because of sin, that, that nearness has been lost. Yes, as Christians, we know God, we have a relationship with him, but, but, but not in the same way that Adam and Eve had before the fall. But here we learn that one day, all of that's going to be restored, perfectly restored. And in a greater way, there's a hymn which says, all, the, all, the, all that was lost in Adam is restored in Christ. And, and, we, and, and we receive even greater benefits in Christ than was lost in Adam. I forget the words, but that's the truth, and it's amazing. And that's what we see here. God will dwell with his people. To put it simply, Christians will be with Jesus forever. Christians will be with Jesus forever. What's the practical outcome of this? Well, we see this in verse 4. What that means is this. Verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Because God is there, sin and suffering is not there. Because God is in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no sin, sorrow, crying, pain, or death. Now, suffering is something we've become used to, isn't it? It's something we've learned to live with, and we, and we, we do live with it. But it was not meant to be like this, and it will not be like this forever. Here we learn that one day, all suffering will be ended. In the new heavens and the new earth, all of the effects of the fall, all of the effects of sin will be eradicated, done away with. No more death, no more pain. God will be with his people. He will dwell with them. What will be there? If there's no death there, then what will be there? Love, joy, peace, happiness. Everything that we long for in this world will be there in its fullest sense. Now I'm sure that, that some of us here this evening, for some of us here this evening, this coming year, Will, will bring sorrow. I'm sure of it. Maybe cancer. Hope not, but possibly. Maybe the death of a loved one. Whether it's these things or other things, sorrow is going to come to some of us, if not all of us, in this coming year. That's the reality, isn't it? But yet, 
we learn from this passage that all of these things are temporary. They're a mere drop in the ocean when we compare it with the eternity of bliss that we will enjoy in the new heavens and the new earth. All of these things that we experience now, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering, these things won't even be remembered in the new creation. Look what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. He says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says all the things we suffer now, when we compare it with the eternal weight of glory, they're light affliction, which is but for a moment. And so in this coming year, no doubt there will be pain, there will be tears. But as Christians, we have an eternal weight of glory that makes all of these things seem but light affliction. And so as Christians, as we face all the uncertainty the rest of the world faces, we can do so with this wonderful hope that this is our destination. This is where we're heading. Death will end, so will mourning. There'll be no weeping or pain there. God will make everything new. That's our future. That's where we're going. So God will make everything new. God will be there. And finally, and very quickly, God calls you to come. God calls you to come. In verse 5, we read these words. John goes on. He's described what he saw. He's described what he's heard. And then he, he tells us what God says. Verse 5. He says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So he says he sees the Lord on the throne. God says, I'm going to do this myself. And then he says to John, Right, for these words are true and faithful. Now, why did God say that? Everything that God says is true, and everything that he says is faithful. So why did he say to John, write down these words because they're true and faithful? Everything he says is true and faithful. Well, the point is, God is saying to John, what I'm going to say next is very important. John, you need to write this down. People need to see this. People need to read this. People need to hear what I'm about to tell you now. So we could say this evening, you need to hear what John's about to say. Maybe you've switched off the moment I started speaking. Well, now you need to switch on. God says, you need to hear what I'm about to say. And he continues. Verse 6, he says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then, and then he goes on. And we see in a moment why what God says is so important. What God says next is important because he says who's going to be part of this new creation and who isn't going to be part of it. He's saying how you get there and how you remain outside of it. And so he's saying you need to listen because if you want to be part of this wonderful new creation, now's the time to pay attention. And this is what he says in verse 6, in verse six and 7. He says, who will be there? And he says this, and I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So here we see who it is who has the right of entry, if you like, to this future paradise. Who will be there? And we have two descriptions of the kind of person that will be there, the kind of people that will be there. 
in this new heavens and new earth. Now, the first one is the one who thirsts. What does that mean? Well, that's describing the person who desires eternal life, the one who longs to be with Jesus. That's who's being described there, the one who thirsts, the one who longs to be with Jesus, who desires eternal life. Now, the only person who fits that description is the one who's been born again by God's Spirit, the one who is trusting in Jesus Christ alone as their only hope of salvation, the one who loves Jesus and longs to be where he is. That's the one that thirsts. The next description is he who overcomes. What's that speaking about? Well, the one who overcomes is the one who perseveres in believing in Jesus to the end. Not the one who, who, who says a sinner's prayer and then, uh, and then goes and lives however they like. That's not the one who perseveres. The one who perseveres is the one who believes in, truly believes in Jesus Christ to the end. Perseveres to the end. The one who overcomes. Now, what will happen to such people? Well, we learn that they will drink freely from the water of, fountain of, of the fountain of life. What does that mean? That means they will live forever with God. They will have eternal life. They will live in this new creation forever. And then we also read they will inherit all things. What does that mean? Well, it means that they will be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. They will rule and reign in the new creation alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I wish I could explain that to you better. I wish I could really uh, explain that further and, and put some flesh on that for you. But I'm as amazed by that as I'm sure many of you are. We're going to reign with Christ. We're going to inherit all things. I don't know what that really means, but I know it's going to be wonderful. And if you're a Christian this evening, the Bible says that, 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 that this is your future. Now before we look at what, say, what, what God says next, we must just pause there for a moment and ask a question. And that is this, are you one of these people? Do you fit into these categories? Can it be said of you this evening that you thirst, that you've been born again by God's Spirit, that you long to be where Jesus is? Can it be said that you are overcoming, that you're persevering in faith? Is your faith in Christ? Well, if you do fit into these categories, then, then these wonderful promises are yours. Yes, we're experiencing something very different at the minute, aren't we? But it's only for a short while. And then we have an eternity here. But if, if you don't fit into these two categories, then your future, if you persist, if you persist in that way, if you persist in unbelief, your future is described in our final verse. In verse 8, this is what God himself says. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now here we have a kind of short list of the kind of people who will not be in the new heavens and the new earth. They won't be there. This wonderful place which we've just had described for us, even though it, I've, I've done it very inadequately, we can see it's going to be amazing. Here we have a description of the kind of people that will not be in this place. And it's a kind of short list, if you like. These are the kind of people that will be in hell. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire list. We don't have time. And I don't think 
that it's necessary. I just want to highlight two, two, two types of people in this list. The first is the unbelieving. He says the unbelieving will be in the lake of fire. Who's that speaking about? That's speaking about the person that does not believe in Jesus Christ. The one that has not repented of their sin. The one who is not trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. where unbelievers go and then the second group in the list is what's called all liars and the reason why I want to highlight that is because the fact is that every person is lying the only person that's been taken out of this group is that is the person who's been forgiven for their lying because their faith is in Jesus Christ they've been redeemed they've been saved and here we learn that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire now, we've just been highlighting the fact that the new heavens and the new earth will be free of pain and suffering and sorrow. There's not going to be any pain there. But the complete opposite is true of this place. The complete opposite is, is true here. There's only pain here. There's only sorrow and suffering here. Now, you might say, well, well why, why would these words be at the end of, of this wonderful passage? Why would God say this at the end of such an amazing passage about heaven? Well, the point is, God is, is saying these things so that you might come to your senses and turn to him. God is calling you to come to the new heavens and the new earth. He's saying, look, if you don't turn to me, if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is your future, the second death, hell. But I want you to come to me. I want you to be saved and forgiven. I want you to be part of this new heavens and this new earth. Come. That's why these words are here, because God wants you to come to your senses if you don't believe in Christ, so that you might believe in him and be part of this new creation. And so, as we finish, what will this new year bring? What does the future hold? Well, the truth is, we don't know what's going to happen this year, do we? But we do know the certain future of all those who believe in Jesus. We cannot live according to what we do not know, can we? we if we would have known this evening that the, that the screens were going to turn off, people would have been here early sorting it out. We didn't know it, so we couldn't prepare for it. We don't know what the year holds, so we can't prepare for that. But we do know that there is a glorious future, a certain future for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we can live in light of that. We can prepare for that. We can live our lives in light of that reality. We know that everything we experience now is temporary, passing away, but that everything that we enjoy in the new creation will be eternal. God will make everything new. God will be there. And God calls us to come. Now, what does this truth mean for this new year? Well, it means simply this, that we should live this new year with the sole aim of bringing glory to Jesus. In light of heaven, that's the only lifestyle that makes sense. The future, the certain future of heaven, demands that we live for Jesus Christ. Any other kind of existence, any other kind of living, does not make sense. It's totally irrational. We should live for the Lord Jesus Christ in this coming year because of our certain future. All of our plans should be for his glory, our spending, our work, all that we do 
Whether we eat or whether we drink, we should do all things to the glory of Jesus Christ. Now we sang a hymn this morning which captures this truth so well. And it's with this I finish. The hymn, the final hymn that we closed with this morning, really uh, puts into poetic language that truth that in light of heaven, we should live for Jesus. And this, this is what a couple of the, the verses say. After this, I'm going to pray. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life, a mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. When on the day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall ever his people be. All glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this coming year, our lives will proclaim that statement, all glory be to Christ. Father, help us to live our lives in light of the certain future of the new heavens and the new earth. Father, help us to do that. And Father, if there are any among us this evening, evening who cannot claim that, that wonderful hope because their faith is not in Jesus, Father, we pray that, that you will bring them to saving faith in him. Father, we commend this year to you and all that it holds. And we pray that you will use us, our lives, for your own honour and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.